Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. All right. Well, we're, uh, we're now at a spot of we're going to be talking about interpreting prophecy. I'm going to give you everything you ever need in 35 or 40 minutes. It's a lot to get in. So if I start talking too fast, I want you guys to go. Uh, that means, David, I can't understand you because I, I don't want to be rushed. All right, time out, yeah. And so as we go through this, I would just say this, this. We're, we're in our, you know, we're, we've we covered the 1 through 6, but now we, we're, you know, 7 through 12, it's a lot of prophetic dreams, a lots of dynamic stuff happening, you know, projecting all the way to the end of the world. So we're going to try to cover that, and we're going to just talk about this whole thing about prophecy. We have this king who loves us, and he's very relational. He wants to actually communicate to us. And you know, in a relationship, if you want that to happen, here's how a good relationship happens. There's a simple rule. You be who you truly are, and let the other person be who they truly are. And this is the way it works with God. He is God. He's above us. He sees more. He's completely different in many ways, but he's, he's connected to us. We're made in his image. We're his creation. And, but the cool thing is this king loves to communicate to us in all kinds of different ways. And so, you know, when I first came to the vineyard, I heard a lot of people talking about God said this, God said that. God, I thought, oh my gosh, are these people okay? Like God spoke this, God said that. I mean, just like, like regular stuff. And I'm thinking, hmm. And, I, and I, that's true. I think that word sometimes though makes it, I think actually now I'm realizing that word's kind of limited. Because he does speak very directly, but really God communicates, right? And that's much more. I mean, Debbie and I talk and we listen, and that's a huge part of us coming to know each other, big part. If you guys don't know that, just take that away. Uh, talking and listening is a big part. But there are a lot of it is our presence, our time together, interacting, going through things together. I come to know Debbie through those things, right? And same way with God. And so he speaks to us in many different ways. He speaks to us through directly by his Holy Spirit. It's just in his presence during prayer, during worship time. He communicates through Scripture as, as God breathed. He communicates through community. You know, he does all kinds of creative ways because he loves to communicate to us. But there's this thing in the Old and the New Testament that God has that he highlights this place in communication. It's called prophecy. And we see it all the way through the Bible. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. Now, I grew up with a point that I I thought of prophecy only as the books of the prophets are written, which were great. But I, this idea that it's still around was a bit new to me until more middle of part of my Christian experience. And I remember I was at one of the, one of the times I experienced prophecy in this very direct way was I was, uh, I think this is actually a story I may have never told. This is odd, I know. But, uh, and, it's, and I'm not going to tell you it all because it's a bit too personal, but I'm going to give you a little bit of it. I was up in uh, a church planning training before we came to plant the church, and uh, I got ready to go to the night session. It's about 40 to 50 pastors and their wives and, and uh, our spouses, and so we were, you know, we, I'm getting ready to go, and I get to ready to start to walk out the door, and I feel like I have to change my shirt. Now, you guys know what a style guru I am. I, I'm how, how amazing I am. I've never thought of ever changing my clothes. If it fits... I wear it color. Debbie says, that color is not, oh, okay. But that, other than that, I never, but I just couldn't wear this shirt. So I had to go back into the hotel and change out my shirt to this wine-colored polo I had. 
And I, and I, I knew that's the shirt I wanted to wear. <laughs> it's the strangest thing. So I'm taking that shirt. So I'm not thinking much more about it. Later on in the evening, a guy named Gary Best points at me. And he says, God's going to bring new wine into the vineyard to you. It sounds a little over the top to me. But I'm like, I can feel God's presence on me as he's talking. And I'm not going to tell you the things that all happened because I don't want to get into all that. But it, he talked for a while. But then this one part he says, I see you standing, being smashed in the face, and your teeth sh- shaking. But this is good. Uh, and you're, but you stayed standing. And out of that, stuff, this stuff will happen. Weird, really weird, but I could feel God in it. And many years later, in the middle of a church plant, I remember there was a spot where I just felt like I was getting hammered. And I couldn't get my bearings. And all of a sudden, I just, clear as a bell, I come back to that prophecy. And it just settled my heart. And it, it, I realized God was still in control. And he was working his plan. And I had hope in the middle of really t- tough stuff. Tough stuff. There's more than that, but that's what I'm going to tell you today. Uh, so that was, that was, so from then on I began understanding the beauty of prophecy. That God is always communicating. And then this is in this place that, you know, he's, he's in a place that wants to talk to us about things. And so what I want to do is I want to have Bill come up, and we're going to read Daniel 8, and understand his perspective. He's, he's looking back, he's looking forward to what's coming, and uh, he has this really vivid dream, so I'm going to let Bill read it as we go through it. Let me just stand there. Daniel 8. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal. And the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged toward the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it, and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. It came to the two-horned ram I had been standing beside, I had seen standing beside the canal, and charged at it in great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it, and the goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and in its place, four 
prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. Out of them came another horn, which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of heaven, and it threw some of the starry host down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be great as a commander of the army of the Lord, and it took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord, and his sanctuary was thrown down. Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and the Lord was thrown to the the truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking. Another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. He said to me, It will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be re-consecrated. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Uli calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I'm going to tell you what will happen in the time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between its eyes is the first king. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation but will not have the same power. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that have been given to you is true, but seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days, and I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Thanks, Bill. I love the ending of that, because by, after you go through that emotion, you go, oh, I feel, I feel just a tad like Daniel after going through that, right? You know, um, 
So I have a chart for you because we, you know, a lot of what was said in there, but just to give you a little summary. And I'd encourage you to take some time and read this over. There's some really good commentaries on this. This is one that the lights come on a little bit better. After seven, it, the lights come on a little bit, and then this comes on at another level. The prophecies of Daniel are so extremely on point that many people said it had to be written afterwards. Somehow it had to be written after. It didn't. I mean, you can look at historical accounts and many other scholars talk about, no, it was written at that time. So these are all things that he's looking out, out and seeing in the future. And as you think about that, as you imagine where he's at, now he doesn't have our perspective at all of what has happened because we see lots of fulfillment in this, but he has none of this and he's looking out in the future. And so here he is at around 560 B.C., He's looking almost 400 years out to this place. If you imagine, he, he's looking all the way to the desecration of the temple clear in 168 B.C., so almost 400 years. And then he goes a little beyond, goes beyond that past 2022 into the end of the time. He's seeing all this at one spot. Took him a few days to recover after that. But if you look at it, there's this chart that kind of helps us along in, in Daniel 7 and 8. We got some wild animals again. I love wild animals. They are great. God speaks in very vivid terms to help us get a hold of things. He's always taking things we can understand and helping us understand uh, something else that's in the this, in this supernatural. So he starts out with a spot in which that Daniel begins looking at this ram with two horns, one bigger than the other. And what is clear now, actually, just by what interpretation happens, but it's this, the Medo-Persian Empire, what's so crazy about this is that their symbol in, in war, they would, their war dress was a ram, their, their coins were stamped, the Persian coins were stamped with a ram, and if you notice, remember last week we had a, we were represented as a bear with one side higher than the other, now we have a horn that's one shorter than the other, talking about this place in which that the Persian was much stronger than Medo, the, the Medo Empire, so it actually tilted in power in, in, in that, and so it's describing that. And then it goes to a place that it says it's pushing westward, northward, and southward, missing eastward because it, if you look in history, it, it didn't conquer that direction. It conquered the other direction. So it's a crazily accurate. And then we go down to the next place. It shows this place of this goat with this prominent horn, Again, kind of comparing back to last week, but this is the Greek Empire, and this was Alexander the Great, and it has some similarities. You have to realize 200 years before Daniel, these, the, the Greek Empire was considered called the goat people, right? So it's pretty obvious. He's making it pretty clear. The lights are turning on pretty well, so you can see it. And it goes, it goes across the surface of the earth without touching the ground. It's this place is, is the, the conquest and the speed of it is unheard of in history of how much under this, this ruling took place. And so there's this prominent one horn, and that's again Alexander the Great during that time was the person who had the, the head of that. And so as you see that is that uh, this notable horn that came up, you know, then we see this place where this, you know, it confronts the ram, and there's this terrible fight that takes place, furious power, moved with rage. The fiercest battles of ancient history were known between the Greeks and the Persians. So it just keeps going down the line, and then it basically says, that, you know, it conqu no, nothing could take it out of its hand, and so it, it, it took over. Now here's what happens. Now you have this weird thing where these, now these one big horn gets knocked off, 
four other horns. Horns represent power and authority. And uh, the goat became very great in its height. And when long horn was broken off, and four horns of prominence grew in its place, and once Alexander the Great died, the kingdom was divided into oversight of four different places. And it, it, it was the spot where it was Greece, Asian Meyer, Syria, and the land of Israel. And so this is taking place. Now there's this next part. The next part is this little horn. And this gets a little bit more blurry to Daniel. You can tell that this is the disturbing part to it. But uh, Antiochus was the ruler, the fourth, is what this is talking about. Now this guy, um, uh, he, his second name there was referred to deity. He added that on, right? <laughs> because he saw himself in that way. Uh, but he was a mean dude. Uh, he was more than mean. He was extremely evil. And uh, so, basically, as, we, as you see this second one, it's like he was known for his cruelty. Uh, the, even the, the, the Jews twisted his deity name into calling him a name that was close in spelling, which was Madman, which prescribes him a bit better. But he hated the Jews. Uh, some accounts show that he, it says that he trampled them. Some accounts show that he killed over, murdered over 100,000 Jews during that time. He, uh, and as you look at this, in, but the, probably the, the, the thing that you talk about this place of the temple being defiled, it was in, night, in uh, 168 BC, he returned after defeat, was very angry. He went into Jerusalem on the Sabbath, and it was in, they even have the marking of, it was in December. And basically, he put an idol of Zeus and then sacrificed a pig on the altar and then spread the blood around the temple. And, and it, was, it shut down all the worship, right? Pretty devastating stuff. Now, then there's this place of, these mornings and evenings of 2300, and some people look at different timing on that. We've had a lot of weird stuff happen out of that in our culture. But the bottom line, there's a time in which there's a time fine, and then the, 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 uh, the, the, sacri- the worship began back at the temple, and it was reconsecrated, okay, at that time. So if you look at all that, as you go through that, um, what you find is a lot of history that's pretty wild. And uh, what's interesting, though, is that the troubling part for Daniel, now, it's for us, now we're looking from a distance and saying, oh my gosh, look at all the things fulfilled. But you get down to that spot of the, the ending part, we say, well, wait a second, that's, that's already happened, so what's that, that, that horn, that, that small horn that grew up that had such power, what is that? And speaking of the end times. And so this is where Daniel was kind of wrestling with this, like, wait a minute, what does this mean? I mean, it's very disturbing. But he basically, if you kind of look at what he talks about, Daniel says, when he asked for clarification, they said, understand the vision concerns the end of, uh, of time. Vision concerns the appointed time of the end. And then, and then later he talks about it, he says, seal up the vision for it concerns the distant future. And so, in this spot is Antiochus IV is a pre, the best we can understand, Antiochus IV is a preview 
a, a model of what you can expect that's coming later that has not taken place yet. And I'll say it, the Antichrist. I know some of you watch movies and you have real weird perspective, but the Antichrist is talked about a lot in Scripture at the end times. And so this is referring to what will happen, and you can take pretty much the characteristics of Antichrist and say, okay, this will be what we can expect in that level of time. There's going to be some big trouble coming. And if you look at all the characteristics of brutality, how cunning he was, how he was mighty in power of his own, the power was not his own, uh, that he thrived, he was like, he was seen as a winner that had tons of success. And, uh, and then he, but deceit just flowed everywhere from him. That's it. So that's what happened with this Anicus, but saying, you understand this is also, this is something that's further, Daniel. It's at the end of the age, the end of time. And so, as you think about that, and even, even it talks about it's, he rises up against the prince of princes. It's talking there, it's saying that the characteristic is he will be very cruel to humans and those who love God, but he'll do it because he hates God. He's rising, that's his, that's his motivation, all right? And the good news is, is it's ended, right? It's interesting, Anicus will, uh, he actually died of a disease. You think a, a warrior would not die of a disease, he just died not the, uh, at the hands of a human. And even it talks about in Revelations that the Antichrist will be strike, struck down by Jesus' hand, not by human hands. So, lot there. We could go into, that, that's actually just a little bit. There's a whole bunch, and I encourage you to go deeper into that. But that gives you a snapshot, so you can, now you can use it for your study time this week. But what I would look at this, I think what I want to understand is how good this was, that this prophecy was given, even though it's pretty exhausting for Daniel. I mean, if you can imagine the emotion he must have felt in that. And so, because and so I want to talk about prophecy and this, like, how do you interpret prophecy and how does that work today? Okay? So, and how would this work as far as, like, what would be the effect of this? And so we're going to go through that just to, as we go in here. The prophecy, first off, I want to just say this. Old Testament, New Testament prophecy has a lot the same. I always hear people saying it's so different. It's actually a lot the same, but it's, it's different in, under Old Covenant and New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, a prophet was in a position in which that it was very much the mouthpiece of God in a direct way, almost as Scripture is, as scripture is to us today. And so there was great uh, concern about false prophets because the people would, would completely give themselves over that direction. Now, the thing about it is, is prophecy, is sometimes when people think of prophecy, oh yeah, that's that Old, old Covenant stuff, that's the Old Testament stuff, but quite honestly, it really goes to another level in the New Testament. It doesn't decrease, it increases. In fact, if you look at the way that in the New Covenant, we see that probably the people that would be equivalent to the prophets would be, you know, of course, Jesus would always consider the perfect prophet, but we have, you know, John the Baptist, much closer, <laughs> particularly with that position. I mean, but even if you think of like how much prophecy came out of all the apostles and, they, and the writings of the apostles, I mean, it's like that's, they, but it's interesting, even John, who wrote Revelations, which is 
it's right along there with Daniel. It's a wild prophecy, right? As far as like how God revealed it. Man, you could say that's a prophet, but they, what do they call him? They call him an apostle. So it's a, it's a different thing. Now, what we see in, in the New Testament, though, is prophecy just begins spreading out because we have been given the Holy Spirit, and now we have this thing called the gift of prophecy. And so in the, in the New Testament, we have this place where it, it's in Acts. So first off, just think about Jesus. Think about how much prophecy introduced Jesus. How good this is. How much God loves prophecy. I mean, Jesus, you start out with all the Old Testament. I mean, we'll be in Christmas soon. Isaiah is just unbelievable. (laughs) Helping us go towards Jesus. And then after all that prophetic things that lead up to Jesus, he starts out with having John the Baptist get born before him. But he starts out even prophetically with his parents of John the Baptist and giving them prophetic words and having them prophesy. And then we go into the place of John, and then we have Anna in the temple who's a prophet, and she confirms this is the, the Messiah. And then we see John the Baptist out there just laying out prophecy and preparing the way. And then we see Jesus who just talks all the time about prophecy and fulfilling and prophesying. And then we start seeing after Jesus uh, ascends and the Holy Spirit comes on us, what happens in Acts 2, it says, in the last day, this is describing what's happening in the last days, speaking of what's happening right there, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. My sons and my daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will have dream dreams. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit. And in those days, they will prophesy. So I think I'd give us a thumbs up on the prophecy in the New Testament, right? It's, it's all the way through it, and it's encouraging us to understand that. Now, there's people within the New Testament that would be probably called prophets. So you'll see, you know, different people that say, and a prophet came along. Some, some they gave names to, some they didn't, and they, they allowed direction. But I would say the difference is, is if you, uh, John, remember used to say it like this, Teachers teach, deacons deke, elders eld, and prophets prophesy. You know, it's kind of like the, the reality of it is, is they, they, like all spiritual gifting, we all have this place of being able to access the spiritual gifts, but there's particular people who have particular gifting stronger than others. So, uh, and I've, I've kind of found as a rule, just as a little tip, if someone starts out by telling you they're a prophet, be very leery what they say. That's my theory, right? It's, it's proven in the pudding, you know, it's a, the proof's in the pudding. So I'd say that the reality of it is we don't see those kind of terminology except for people who are really operating in that for a long time. So if you want to call yourself a prophet, uh, don't. But if, you, uh, but if you are prophetic, maybe some people will start calling you a prophet. Maybe that will be your role more. But the reality of it is what we see in the New Testament is just going everywhere because we have the Holy Spirit and we are now the, the body of Christ. Christ. And this is a very big part of how God communicates to his people is through prophecy. So, I've kind of upgraded my list a bit. Uh, I have more revelation since last week. This is my updated list. Prophetic words. Prophetic words do this powerful thing. There's something that cannot be produced other than something outside of ourselves, that the Holy Spirit shows us things we couldn't see other ways, right? And what happens when you have a prophetic word? It brings light. And you can put this and apply this Old Testament, New Testament. When the prophets would speak, people could see what was happening inside of them. 
they could see their sin. They could see what God had for them. They, it was gracious to them to be able to turn and find what's keeping them from God. But it's also in place, this place of being able to see what's happening, right? To give an understanding of how they should, how they should live. It brings us deep conviction. But there's also this place of confirmation. You know, there's there so many people who have just dove in and look at the Old Testament prophecies and it's convinced them that this is the real deal. Jesus is really who he said he is. It's not just like a leaf. No, it's clarity. It brings testimony to say, yes, this is who Jesus is. It reveals who he is. And then it gives us this deep hope, right? Now, just think about, let's move back to the Israelites scattered all over the all the Jews scattered over, some exiles, some not. Do you realize what prophecies like Daniel did for them? I mean, when they're watching chaos and kingdoms falling and going and kingdoms falling and going and evil happening, do you know what it meant for them to be able to, have to know that God had already watched out for them? So it allows us to see the past and the... Fr- a glimpse of the past, the present, the future more clearly. It shows us who we are and who God is and how God sees us. If any of you have experienced a really uh, direct prophetic word, I can almost promise you you can think what I felt one part of that was, God sees me. Man, every time I receive a prophetic word, it's, it, it goes to this place because God knows me. They didn't know, no one else knew this. God knows me. He knows my past, He knows my present, and He knows my future. There's, it just has this huge effect. It reveals God's sovereignty. You know, I didn't sit around with the, uh, you know, write it on the card, on my refrigerator magnet, put it on my thing. David, someday you're going to be hit in the face. And, you know, I didn't, but I'm telling you, knowing that I didn't have to worry about that, but God was sovereign and was working his plan, I didn't have to worry about that. But I knew he was in charge. Because what it does, it prepares you for what's going to take place. And it, you can rest as his plans unfold. It prepares you for what's ahead. I mean, think about how much this prophecy meant when people watched the temple having a pig sacrificed in it. And they could go there and say, it will be restored back to worship. Right? I mean, think about what this does when you can get this in. And, he's, and God is a perfect father. Do you, do you parents let your kids know everything is going to happen? No, you scare them to death. Right? They'd be crying just like that all the time. Like, I don't want to live because they don't use it. But you know... It's not the whole picture. So you allow them to know what they need to know for the sake of doing well. But you prepare them for what's coming. Now, and I think the big thing is it motivates you to depend and worship God. Uh, you know, we need to keep everything simple. Love God, love others. And so these things are ways that God communicates. But we don't worship prophecy. We, we don't worship the puzzle. 
if you've been around some people who worship the puzzle, like they're trying to figure that out. I had a prophetic word here. I had this there. And I'm putting this together. And you think, where are you? I can't, you're not, you're not able to love anybody. You're just trying to put the puzzle together so you can keep in control. That's not the prophecy. Prophecy puts you in a spot that you realize, I'm not in control, but God is. It causes you to actually, this, this, this prophecy doesn't make you think, I'll, I'll, be, I'll just figure out what happens. No, you think, I need, to, I need to worship God. It takes you to dependency on God. It causes you to seek and worship Him. You know, I think the, you know, I always talk about the, how the, the Pharisees, they developed out their theology so depth of what they believe in Scripture, and they said, and Jesus, you, you look at the Scripture, and you search it, thinking you're going to find God, but you are messed up, you're missing me. In other words, you're right in the middle of all that, but you're not, it's not taking you to God. Prophecy, all, good prophecy, healthy prophecy always takes you to God. It takes you to a place of listening to the Holy Spirit more for more information. So, in just a couple minutes, I'm going to give you a quick, quick little thing of how to both give prophecy and receive prophecy. And this is what you call the extremely short version. But here's how you learn. You practice. So I'm going to get you something to get you practicing and starting. Giving prophecy. First off, pursue love. He's talking Corinthians because they had that out of whack. And when you have that out of whack, all the spiritual gifts go downhill. This is the way prophecy is. You prophesy out of love to God and others. You start with that motivation, and you earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. You guys should be praying like, I'm going to pray what Paul said. I want to prophesy more. Why? Because the Bible says it. I should earnestly desire this, right? So it's okay to pray. Say, God, show me how to, have, to bless people, to love people prophetically. All right? And, and I love what Paul says. He says, I want you to all speak in tongues. Take that in. But even more, I want you to prophesy. Man, that's pretty straightforward. Now, what we also know by Corinthians is they, we realize it's not perfect. Because Corinthians were far from perfect. And he was still saying, don't back off. Do it right. And one thing the Corinthians did, they, just, they kind of say, well, God made me do it. You know, I just had to, if you have somebody who just has to tell you something and they, won't, they aren't humble about it, you know, and they, have to, they just have to say it no matter what. It's like that person comes up to you and say, do you want to, you want to hear what I really think? No, I don't, actually don't, you know. <laughs> so basically saying prophecy, you can spiritualize to the point to say, I don't have control of myself. And say, no, no, you do have control. You can be kind and loving and sensitive and humble and you can say, you can hold things back. I mean, Daniel didn't even do anything with his prophecy other than sit on it. And write it out later, you know, so the place I'd say that, so understanding that is when you give the readers, probably first off is that understand that's what God wants and really try it. And if you do it humbly and with love, you can learn a lot. I've had some weird prophecies that were just, ended up being weird prophecies. I've had some bad prophecies, bad, bad prophecies, yeah, you know, uh, I think Debbie and I had a number of, like, you're pregnant. Like, really? Well, it must have been you, because, it, you know, I, it's like, no. When you're going into fertility and you have somebody that, it's like, you, you understand it's difficult to embrace prophecies when you have, but understanding, if you understand that this is not, it's a place in which that you have to be able to be a spot where you're humble, and, but you step out and love someone. But how about receiving prophecy? I think it's important to understand this. 
The receiving from the gift of prophecy is from someone else. Understand, first off, love never fails. Let God love you in that spot. But understand the prophecies, they're going to they're gonna cease and tongues will cease. These things will cease. They'll pass away. And I love in verse 9, it says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. It's just part. God fills in a lot, but it's just part. And so very seldom do you have the whole package. And it's not really up to you to do that. It's, fact, it's up for that person who has the Holy Spirit to say, what is right here? And you see that he talks about this place. And I love this in Thessalonians. Paul says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. If you're out a few bad prophecies, <laughs> you can go down this road pretty quick. I despise prophecies. But when you understand that that's probably how you've taken it in, because it says test everything. It's not, that, might, that person might say, thus saith the Lord, but it's not until it confirms in your heart and it bears witness to you, right? And hold fast to what is good. Even when you have in a public setting, which is very hard to do, but if, if prophecy happens and it's not on track, is that you have to, we have to even discern that and say, what is right and wrong on that? See, again, prophecy takes you to a place of seeking God and listening to him. So those are all ways of saying, okay, how do I, what are, the, what are the guardrails here? But what you really want to do is you want to start letting God use you in prophecy. And you want to be open to a place of being able to receive prophecy, whether you're reading it and letting God speak to you about the future, whether a person's coming up to you and speaking about particular things. I would say, I have a, you know, how you have these books, you write out things. I've had the prophecies that have been on target have been life-changing for me. I'm telling you, at levels that I'd be choked up if I just started talking about them, where God has faithfully used prophecy to be a, a big part of how he communicates to me. Right? It's not the only way, but it's a big part. It's very important. So, straightforward on the, the worship team can come up, straightforward on the uh, invitation. Just take the scripture. Pursue love and earnestly desire the Spirit's gifts, especially that of prophecy. I just encourage you to just see the beauty of prophecy and desire it and start praying about it. And open yourself up to having the Holy Spirit to communicate you through prophecy. I mean, a lot of prophecy happens as you got before. God will give people words sometimes, even up front, for prayer. Pursuing, pursue loving others by exercising the gift of prophecy. Just begin saying, you know, do you guys ever have that spot where you're with somebody and you think, I don't know what to do. I can't help you. You're right. You can't. But man, if God gives you a prophetic word in the middle of something you don't know, it is so life-giving and you really didn't have much to do with it. And you think, and then you, you get to experience being partnered with God.